Okay, there, and welcome to the rewrap for Wednesday. All the best bits from the Mike Hosking breakfast on Newsdog ZB in a sillier package. I am Glenn ZB, and and this morning, uh, so uh, yeah, Mike's back, um, and he's he's already into cycleways, straight straight back and into cycleways, um, and he's into transmission gully as well. I know these are things that you thought don't didn't need to be talked about, but they do. Um, <laughs> They sure, sure would do. Um, and, of course, the reason he wasn't here is because he had COVID. Don't worry, it wasn't so bad he had to go to hospital, but he will talk about having COVID. Um, it was kind of a worst-case scenario for everybody else, not him. Uh, but before any of that, uh, we haven't heard his views on the uh, on the cabinet reshuffle. I know it's Wednesday and it happened ages ago, but, you know, He's been away. Tell you this for nothing, it was a frustrating session for me on a um, bit of deja vu for me Monday as I watched the PM smoke and mirrors exercise she referred to dishonestly as a minor cabinet reshuffle. Took me back to the bad old days of the one o'clock pulpit of bollocks where the assembled press gallery reminded me yet again just how desperately short of talent we are in the wider media in this country these days. How, as Simon Bridges so accurately pointed out in his valedictory, they're just a large collection these days of group thinkers. Now, Adern has largely been able to get away with what she has these at these sort of events because essentially she doesn't have any opposition. The real opposition, as a national enact, have been holding the government successfully to account for about a year now, and you've seen the results in the polls. But the media, although not nearly as enamoured with it the way they once were, still fail to do basically what they are paid to do. Ask a few hard questions, and when they don't get any answers, ask a few more hard questions. The other trick to successful reportage is to look beyond what is in front of you. And what wasn't in front of them, uh, specifically in the reshuffle announcement, was the plight, of course, of Nanaya Mahuta. Leading up to the announcement, any number of articles were published in the usual speculative way as to what might be happening, who might be for the chop, what the rumours were, what the fallout could be, and of course, as part of all that, the Mahuta name was everywhere. And yet when the announcement was made, the shuffling done, Mahuta was not part of any of it. Why not? And more importantly, where were the flurry of questions as to why not? The two most useless ministers by a mile are Poto Williams and Nanaya Mahuta. One got rolled, one didn't. Why not? Why not, Prime Minister, was the first question. But the questions, as they always do, simply react to what is fed to you. The gallery are like birds, pecking at the seeds supplied by the government, never looking up, never looking round, never looking for anything other than what is in front of them. By the time the reportage was complete, Mahuta's name, status or future was no part of any of it. Why not? Hasn't always been this bad, I can tell you. I miss a good collection of inquiring minds, of big-picture thinkers, left-field question-askers. In a different era, and one not that long ago, Adun would have been toast at an event like that because her institutional knowledge is about as broad as most of the galleries. She doesn't know how easy she's got it. Yes, uh, the Labour government perhaps hoping that uh, the Hosk was taking a few more days off than he, than he has. Um... He's also, and perhaps councils as well for that matter, uh, given his attention he's paying to the cycleways here, there and everywhere. Cycleways are back, and there's the ideological debate around cycleways, of course, whether or not they actually achieve anything, whether they cut traffic, whether it's real to expect large numbers of people in large cities to cycle everywhere, whether the damage you do to the roading network and the resulting congestion is worth it all, whether all the court cases that are fought over planning and execution make the battle worth it. But then... You've got the issue of incompetence and ineptitude that even if cycleways did make sense, they've cocked it up anyway. Just this week, we've got the Greyland Cycleway in Auckland. That's a debacle where it's accepted now by even the cyclists who love these things that it doesn't work, isn't used, and it costs too much money. $10 million is what you're talking about there. And now we've got good old Waka Kotahi, eh? The ministry with more spin doctors than even the Prime Minister's department, adding to a fiscal mess they don't know how to get out of. The Petoni Cycleway, this is Wellington, Petoni Cycleway, the cost has tripled. 
trebled to $63 million. There's a $1 million clerical error in there. $1 million clerical error. Uh, between now and 2024, there's an overspend on cycleways of $670 million. Six, three quarters of a billion dollars. Uh, that triggers a breach of approval issue, which means delays in stalling and panic. It's very Christchurch Stadium, if you think about it. That $670 million, by the way, doesn't include a couple of projects in Auckland that also <laughs> include cost overruns. So it gets even worse. This, by the way, comes to public attention thanks to the Official Information Act. And if you read the whole thing, the Petoni mess is comical as well as depressing. The lack of investigation, uh, the work that was done and redone, the consenting, the miscalculation, you couldn't have cocked it up more if you set out to cock it up in right royal style. And it's what you get when you combine public service ineptitude and the ideology that you're right, everyone else doesn't know what they're talking about. Cycleways don't work in big cities, certainly not as a means of mass commuting. I mean, recreationally through parks, sure. Uh, The countryside like Central Otago for tourists, fantastic. But through butchered streets of downtown New Zealand with parks destroyed, businesses affected, budgets blown, lane after lane of no use because people don't cycle like they do in Amsterdam. Do they work? No. When you're blowing out by hundreds of millions of dollars, when the lanes you have built don't work and aren't used, when the whole idea is so clearly a bust, who's got the gonads to call it for what it is and accept the idea is fatally flawed and we are spending money we don't have on stuff that's wasting everybody's time. Oh, I can tell you there's nothing worse um, than having your normal traffic route disrupted by something being built that you don't think is necessary. Um, it's fine if it's something that you think is going to benefit you, but... Mm. Um, this morning I, w- I was met with the motorway signs promising that the motorway was yet again going to be closed on my way to work. And then had the bonus of uh, once I got to where it was going to be closed, they were just picking up the cones and reopening it. Ah, if only that could happen a bit more often. That's glorious when that happens. Uh, I wonder how often that happened during the construction of Transmission Gully. Um, I'm still on over the $337,000 to open Transmission Gully. It's, if you've missed this this morning, it is the biggest scandal. I haven't. It's, it's, it, this is the sort of thing that slips by in this country because I think we're so punch drunk these days, we sort of don't care anymore. And it's, oh, well, it's just more money. Who cares? And it, it'll come from somewhere at some particular point in time. If you've missed the story this morning, not only Transmission Gully was a complete and utter bust, and it took far too long to build, and it cost far too much money, and it was yet another piece of infrastructure in a country that really doesn't seem able to build any infrastructure at all on time or on budget, and if we do, it's a very rare day indeed. So Transmission Gallery, by the time they finally got the damn thing opened, I remember very distinctly watching it on the news that night, and I thought the first thing I saw was, I thought, what a motley crew of try-hard hangers-on, and why on earth do they need that many people to simply cut a ribbon was my thought at the time. Little did I know that that exercise, that singular exercise, that singular event that day, cost us, you and I, $337,000 to cut a ribbon. As the led parliamentary by... playgrounds they could have built with that money. Exactly. At least a half of one. Uh, and it's, I mean, you know, at what point do we start pushing back a bit on this and asking some serious questions? Or are they just literally laughing at us, knowing that we're so hopeless, so myopic, so sheep-like in this country now, they could literally do anything, and a few people would go, oh, that's not very good, is it? And apart from that, it'll just pass by. 300 
and $37,000 simply to cut a ribbon. And you wonder why this country's buggered, and you wonder why we don't have any money, or in fact less than no money. Yeah, think of the um, Ram Raid bollards they could they could have supplied for 333 There's so, much, so many things they could have done. Um, perhaps they could have hired a few more doctors and nurses and built a few more ICU units. A health observation in general. So I'm watching the news last night. Hospitals are preparing for the biggest surge in winter illness on record. That's, that's the news last night. Hospitals are preparing for the biggest surge in winter illness on record. Now, why is that? The reason for that is because we closed the borders. And when we closed the borders and locked ourselves away from the rest of the world, became a hermit kingdom. No one came in, and no one came in, no flu came in, which was good for the time, but of course it was always going to end and end in an ugly fashion. Now, why do we close the borders? Because we didn't want the hospitals overrun. So when we open up the borders, are the hospitals then going to be overrun with flu? Looks like it. Uh, Middlemore are up 17% on last year. They can't cope. Everyone's, it's not COVID. This is the problem with the hospitals. Uh, the COVID numbers are going down. The hospitals are being overrun by influenza A, and they're being overrun by influenza A, because we have no immunity to influenza A, because we locked the country down. So in locking the country down to avoid the problem then, have we not just created a bigger problem now that we still can't deal with? We couldn't cope then, we can't cope now. So you've got to start asking the question at some point, and this before we get to the review, I'll get to the review later on on the business of the COVID testing, what a scandal that's been. But you've got to ask the point, what was the point of closing down to prevent the hospitals being overrun if by then eventually opening up they're still going to get overrun. Yeah, it is a bit of a mystery, isn't it? They've had quite a long time to get ready for this now, and nothing's really changed. They've just delayed it. Um, and so it's just as well Mike didn't end up in hospital. Whew. Yes, I am back, and I sort of haven't mentioned that I've been away, and I'm, I'm, I mentioned earlier on I didn't really want to talk about it because it's so boring, I'm so over COVID, it's so dull, it's so uninteresting but nevertheless it seems to be one of those things that's all we can talk about these days when you run into anybody uh, not that I run into anybody at the moment having been in isolation of course but you know when you run into people it's all that oh, you had COVID how was your COVID oh well, or did you have that did you oh yeah no I had that no I didn't have that oh, I know a person who had it but I never had it oh, I had it re- you know it just goes on and on and on but anyway uh, the upshot was it wasn't that bad to be perfectly honest but I'm very mindful of talking about it because there are certain members of this particular household who've had it and have it and uh, have been doing it very, very tough. And so it seems to be one of those things where a lot of people who get COVID get the flu as well. And it's the flu that's doing people in, as we gave you those hospital stats earlier on today. The reason people are in hospital is more flu now than it is COVID. So if you get the combo, you're in a spot of bother. And Katie's been in a spot of bother for a couple of weeks, slowly coming right, but gee, it's slow. Uh, and those of us who are lucky enough just to get a what appeared to be a almost nonsensical bit of COVID, you know, a week ago, um, it's a day's worth, and then you're out the other side, and it's a complete non-event. So unfortunately, uh, Kate and my worst fears have been realised. Uh, we literally talked about this a couple of weeks ago that um, there were t- there were two likely scenarios with Mike and COVID: either he would get it and go down in a screaming heap and nearly die, and you know, that would be obviously very bad. Or, but potentially even worse, he would get it and not really even notice and then go on and on and on about what wusses everybody else has who's had a bad reaction to it. And unfortunately, it looks like the latter has happened and now our lives are insufferable as a result. I'm Glenn ZB, but good to have him back though, isn't it? Uh, and he'll be back again tomorrow. He's even threatening to come into work. <laughs>